We're in Galatians uh, chapter 1. We're going to hit a passage from uh, verse 11 to verse 24 today. Um, have you guys ever been asked to share your testimony before? To, to share your story of what God has done in your life, how he reached you, how he saved you, how he's transformed your life through his grace. Maybe you've had a chance to share that publicly or with people one-on-one, or maybe if you're not, you know, familiar with church stuff, maybe you've been somewhere where you've heard somebody share their testimony, share their story of what God has done uh, in their life. It's something that we do, you know, before baptisms and things like that. Um, I remember the first time that I was ever asked to publicly share my testimony, the story of what God has done in in my life. It was uh, in Ecuador. It was in the middle of the Amazon jungle, like deep, deep in the jungle. Like take a flight, take a jeep, take a canoe down the Amazon River, take another jeep, then another canoe further down the river, uh, right in the middle of the jungle. And so we're talking like picture no electricity. Um, We had a bathroom, you know, but it was a hole with a tin roof over it, you know, and um, yeah, it was there that we were, we were doing some, some ministry in that space and trying to bring these local villages together um, to teach and to do programs, sports, things like that with the kids, and uh, I had become a, a new Christian. I would started following Jesus a little bit uh, before that, and uh, <clears throat> our, our guide on our team asked me if I would, through a translator, share my story with these gathered villages um, because I had decided that I was going to get baptized on this trip. I had just started following Jesus, decided it was time to do that. Um, so the guy was like, okay, you're going to share your story, which I had never done before, and then we're going to go to this little non-moving part of the Amazon River and baptize you. And I was like, cool. Are there anacondas in that part of the river? <laughs> you know, I've seen movies, you know. And he was like, no, I blow English, sorry. <laughs> I was like, dude, you're from Wisconsin. Your name's Jim. What are you talking about? Um, so I thought maybe I was going down into the water and never coming back up, um, which would have been fine because I knew, knew where I was going, you know, <laughs> knew Jesus. So, um, But I got up and I did my best through a translator to share my story of what Jesus had done in my life, how he had reached me, how I was searching for something in my past through, you know, trying to make it in the band music scene and through sports and playing competitive soccer, how that had become my entire identity, how uh, my whole sense of self-worth was wrapped up in that, and I was chasing all these things for my own glory, yet it was leading me nowhere. It was leading me to be just dry and empty and um, just have nothing and and not find what I was looking for, and then how Jesus met me in the midst of that uh, through the grace of the gospel and transformed me and saved me and gave me a new heart, a new life, a new purpose, a new calling in my life and sent me out. Uh, in that way, I did my best to articulate that. It probably wasn't a great story. Um, and the whole time, I was just thinking to myself, this is silly. Like, no one wants to hear this. Um, and then I finished up and, you know, went down to the anaconda pit to get baptized. And uh, on the way there, the translator comes and talks to me, and he says, uh, there's this 13-year-old boy um, who really resonated with your story, and he wants to follow Jesus and get baptized with you. I was like, whoa, okay. And so we did that. And then a couple days later, another guy on our ministry team who had come with us from our church, um, they approached me and, and, and said, this guy really resonated with what you had said earlier. And he's grown up in church and he's heard the stories and he's heard the gospel before, but something about seeing it live and move and have power in your life and your story from a person that he knows hit him in a different way. And he wants to for us to pray with him and he wants to receive the grace of Jesus and become a follower of 
Jesus, and it was in that moment that I, I just, it clicked for me, like, whoa, Jesus is alive. He is active. The gospel is alive and active. It is powerful, and there's something about seeing and witnessing and hearing that power, that living power of God through the grace of Jesus in someone's life in a real way, in the gritty realities of real life that just hit us and grab us and move us in a different way. And this section of Galatians that we're going to hit for the next three weeks is what uh, scholars refer to as the autobiographical or the testimonial part of Galatians, where Paul is still, as he's done in the last two passages, he's fiercely defending the gospel of grace versus the gospel of works. Um, But the way that he defends his authority as an apostle to preach the gospel and the way he defends and authenticates the gospel of grace that he's preaching is by telling his own story, by sharing his testimony personally of how the grace of God grabbed him because he knows that there's something different, something uniquely powerful about not just sharing some information about Jesus and about the gospel, but actually seeing it live in somebody's life and seeing the power of the grace of God. Um, so we're going we're gonna to hit that um, just for some context Um, If you haven't been tracking with us, Paul, so far in the letter to the Galatian church, he's been just really ferociously defending the gospel of grace. He wants us to not forget that the gospel of Jesus, the true gospel that he is preaching, is a gospel of grace, not of works. And uh, we might be tempted to think, okay, Paul, why don't you give us something practical? You know, why so much emphasis on the gospel, getting the gospel right, grace, 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 gospel, 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 give us something tangible, give us, how can I have a better marriage, how can I have a better life, how can I be a better person, and the reason that Paul starts and so firmly, ferociously emphasizes the gospel of grace is because we can have all those things, we can try really, really hard to clean ourselves up on the outside and do a lot of good things morally and be very religious and try to live better lives but completely miss the point. Because the reality that Paul knows firsthand and that he wants the church and us as an extension to not forget is that God is not primarily concerned about what we just do on the outside. He wants our heart. He wants to captivate our heart with his divine sacrificial love. He wants to save us by his grace and transform us by his grace so that we have a new heart, we are a new creation, and out of that naturally flows new life and a life that is pleasing and honoring to God. It does us no good to try and clean ourselves up on the outside if we have missed the point of the gospel of grace that God wants our heart because I think so often what we want to do is we want to make the gospel good advice when in reality it is good news. That in our brokenness, in our sin, God has done something about it. That new life is available in him. We so often want to make the gospel about behavior modification on the outside, outside in uh, change, and God is more concerned about inward heart transformation. We are so often interested in formulas. Tell me how to live a better life. Tell me how to be a better person. God is actually way more concerned with formation. We want formulas. God calls us to deep formation. 
And that's what the gospel of grace does. It introduces us to the person of Jesus as we grow closer to him, as we are one with him through the forgiveness of our sins. We spend more time with him. We start to become more like him and we start to live like him. It starts with inward heart transformation, not outward behavior modification. The Bible is full of this. Jesus was full of preaching this. He said in Matthew 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In Romans, Paul says this, be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind transformed by the renewing of your mind. Proverbs 4 tells us this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Paul wants the Galatian church and us to not get it twisted, to not stray from the reality that the gospel is grace and the grace of the gospel is not just a gateway into the Christian life that we then grow up and graduate from. The whole of the Christian life is grace. The only way that I'm actually able to love my wife like Christ loves the church is to be more like Christ in my heart, to have a new heart and be transformed inwardly. The only way that I'm actually able to go to war against the sin in my life and put it to death is not by trying harder. It's through the power of grace and becoming more like Jesus through the grace of the gospel. It's all of grace. Paul wants us to not forget that and the way that Paul is going to get that across is by sharing his testimony with us and he kind of uses the same framework that we often use when we encourage people to share their testimony which is simply before how and now Paul's going to tell us this is who I was before Jesus grabbed me this is how Jesus grabbed me by his grace and now this is how my life looks because of the power of the grace of God so let's jump in verse 11 Paul says this, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. What does Paul mean by that? Not man's gospel. Paul is telling the church and he's telling us that we are in the midst of a battle of formation. Right, So we are constantly at all times in our heart and in our mind being formed by something. And we're either being formed by the gospel Uh, the the gospel, the false gospels that the world is constantly preaching at us or we are going to be formed by the true gospel of grace that Paul is preaching. And Paul wants to be super clear that he is preaching the only gospel that has power, the gospel that brings us face to face with the presence and power of Jesus. But why does he take time to say this? What are some versions of man's gospel that Paul wants us to be aware of? Well, for the Galatian church, the man's gospel that he's defending against, that he is not preaching, is a gospel of works. So there were some people called the Judaizers who were Jewish zealots who were coming into the early church and they were trying to encourage these new Christians that yes, Jesus is Lord, but also the way to be saved and the way to be right with God is Jesus plus good works, following Jewish laws and traditions of dress and eating and food laws and ritual ceremonial cleansing. Paul is saying that is man's gospel. When you add anything to grace, you have strayed from the gospel, you've strayed from Jesus. But for us to think practically, what are some versions of man's gospel? What are some things that the world is preaching at us that we are tempted to actually believe and have our heart and mind formed by? Just think about the world around you. Think about the messaging that comes at you. Think about the things that tempt you and pull at your heart. Some things that, that came to me as I was reflecting on this were, I think, um, I think of the, the gospel of materialism. Right, this message that's coming at us constantly that if we can get enough stuff, more stuff, more comfort, suburban, comfy life, white picket fence, save up enough money for retirement, get a nice house, maybe a boat, and just live a super comfortable life, that's it, man. That's salvation right there. That's the good life. 
right, or the gospel of prosperity that, that tells us that um, if we follow Jesus and commit our lives to Jesus, that everything's just going to go super well, go super smooth. Ask Paul how that went for him, right? Paul is someone who, as soon as he started following Jesus, he faced shipwrecks, he faced imprisonment, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was tortured. Life got a lot harder for him. The promise of the gospel, the true gospel, is not that life is going to go a lot easier for us. It's not that we will not suffer and we will not die. It is, as C.S. Lewis tells us, that in suffering and dying, we are safe. The promise is that God will be with us in the midst of our suffering, not that we won't face it. Right? What other gospels can you guys think of that tempt you? You know, maybe it's the gospel of politics, right? If we can get the right leader in charge of the country, if we can get the right political party in to put the right policies in place, then everything will be okay. Maybe it's the gospel of, of absolute liberty, right? The way to be most human and most free and most live the, the best life we possibly can is to have no rules, no regulations, nothing guiding us, do whatever we want with our money, with our bodies, with our sexuality, with whatever. That's the way to true freedom. There are all these different gospels that are preached at us constantly from within the church and without the church. Paul is saying, the gospel that I'm preaching is not man's gospel the true gospel of Jesus. Verse 12, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it, how? Through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, you're either gonna be formed by the gospels of the world, the gospels of men, or you're gonna be formed by the gospel of Jesus. The gospels of men come from men. They're taught by men. They're passed down and handed on by men. That's not where I got this gospel of grace. I got it directly from revelation of Jesus, face-to-face with Jesus. Paul is saying that the true gospel is not something that is just learned and taught intellectually. It's not just philosophy. It's not just doctrine. It's not just head knowledge. It's actually experience. The true gospel comes to us with the saving power and transforming power of God. The scriptures tell us this over and over again in Romans 1.16 Paul says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul tells the Corinthian church, for the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He says to the the church in Thessalonica, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Paul is saying the true gospel of Jesus, the gospel of grace versus the gospel of man comes to us with power because it doesn't just lead us to these dead end man-centered things that don't actually satisfy us and fulfill us. It actually brings us face to face with Jesus who has the power by his Holy Spirit to make us new, save us, transform us from the inside out. I did not receive it from any man. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So now Paul's going to explain to us through telling his story, through sharing his testimony, how the gospel of Jesus actually comes to us with power, how it actually does something actively. It's not just something to know, something to learn. It's something to be received with power and let that power move in us and transform us from the inside out. So Paul starts with the before part of his story. He says this in, in verse 13, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond 
many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So what's Paul's before part of the story? Man, he says, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. So Paul was not somebody who was seeking God. He wasn't somebody that in his journey was trying to come up with reasons or come face to face with reasons to believe in Jesus. He didn't want to believe in Jesus. He's trying to tell us that this gospel is legit because I was the opposite of believing it. I was actually trying to destroy the early church. I was actually trying to persecute Christians. I was I had the authority from the Jewish uh, upper authorities to actually arrest and torture and put in prison and murder Christians. I was far from a believer. I didn't want to believe. I wanted to destroy the church, not build and plant the church. That's how far I was from the grace of God. And if even I was that far and doing those horrific things, killing Christians, imprisoning Christians, torturing Christians, and still I was not so far that God could not reach me by his grace... I was not so far that the grace of God could not grab a hold of my heart and actually change me and transform me and turn me around and make me a believer and a follower of Jesus. How can that gospel not be true? How can it not be real? That's the power of the grace of God, that Paul was that far. He was that far gone. How far gone do you feel like you are? We do things that we think God could never forgive us for. We run from God so far, we rebel against him so aggressively that sometimes we think we are beyond saving, we're beyond the grace of God. Paul's trying to show us this is how powerful God is. It doesn't matter how bad you are. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has already done for you. And this is how powerful his grace is. Nobody is too far gone. Not even me who was killing Christians, persecuting the church. But what else else does Paul say about his before time, before Jesus grabbed him? He says, verse 14, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul was extremely zealous for the traditions of his fathers. What does that mean? The traditions of his fathers, it was the rabbinic uh, school of Judaism. Paul was raised under um, a mentor and a rabbi named Gamaliel, who was known as like the most, one of the strictest, but one of the most learned uh, rabbis in that time. Paul came up under this guy studying under him. And what they did, so it was a sect called the Pharisees within Judaism, who uh, added a whole bunch of things to the Mosaic law and to the gospel of grace and said, in order to be Uh, part of the church or part of the true church of God, which they believe was Judaism, you have to do all of these rules, all these rituals, all these ways that we dress, the things that we eat and don't eat, ritual cleansing, all of these things. Paul is saying, I was so zealous beyond anyone my age to fulfill those laws. Paul was really aggressively running after religiosity. Paul was really aggressively running after moralism to try and be a good moral person in order to be approved by God. And what he's telling the Galatian church and us is that that got me nowhere. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. What traditions are you zealous for that actually aren't making you zealous for more of Jesus, but just for more of tradition? Right, we do this in church, right? We can be so zealous about the things that we do, the, the, the mode of worship that we prefer. Maybe that's music, maybe that's things. Maybe you were bothered by the fact that Andy's wearing flip-flops today. 
because in your church you were supposed to wear dress shoes, right? You're handsome. Um, right? But what are the things that we are zealous for? Maybe it's the, the way of preaching. Maybe it's the way of music. Maybe it's the whatever it might be. Maybe it's your theological high horse that you care so much about. Maybe it's your secondary doctrines about the Holy Spirit or about gender roles in ministry or things like that that are, yes, very important. But Paul's saying be very careful because you can be very, very zealous for tradition without necessarily growing closer to Jesus. And he's saying, guys, that is a dead-end road. You do not want to go there. Um, It was really fascinating. Um, Earlier this week, Sarah and I drove down to Portland for a a conference at a, a big church in Portland and we got to just, or I got to just sit in a room um, and just listen to a guy named Tim Mackey, who is one of the founders of the Bible Project. So if you've ever watched like those videos that are like, uh, it's like an intro to the book of the Bible, and it's really cool graphic art drawn by hand, and there's a really nerdy sounding guy narrating underneath it, that's Tim Mackey. So he's one of the guys who founded that. And he's just this brilliant mind. He knows Hebrew in and out. He's a scholar. He's a teacher. He's a pastor. Brilliant man. But he actually wasn't there to teach us Hebrew or to teach us actually anything about the scripture. He was there to share his testimony with us. And it was this beautiful moment of transparency where to this room of pastors and leaders, this guy who is an absolute wizard with with Hebrew and all the linguistic stuff and the, the historical context and everything, he looked at us and through tears, he said to us, Man, I have a PhD in Hebrew. I care so much about this doctrine and theology. Once these videos went viral, I got asked to come and share this stuff at churches all over the world. And in the last three years, what God showed me is that I have a PhD in Hebrew and a grossly underdeveloped soul. Just this beautiful transparency where he was saying to us, man, I'm so zealous. You can be so zealous for tradition for doctrine, for theology, for whatever it is, and still miss the point. Paul's saying, don't be zealous for the traditions of your fathers and miss Jesus. You can so easily do that. Um, I love the way Tim Keller put it. I love the way he puts most things. He said, Paul's experience proves vividly that the gospel is not simply religion as it is generally understood The gospel calls us out of religion as much as it calls us out of irreligion. No one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel, nor so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. Paul was deeply religious, but he needed the gospel. Paul was deeply flawed, yet he could be reached with the gospel. That's Paul's before part of the story. I was so zealous, yet missing the point. I was also so immoral. I was a murderer. And yet the grace of God was able to reach me. And one other thing, I don't know if you caught this, but um, Paul says in verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone So verse 15, what is Paul saying? Paul's saying, when he who had set me apart before I was born. So Paul's saying, when I look back in hindsight, I'm actually able to see that God was working on my life and moving and doing things around me through people and circumstances and things in my life way before I was even thinking about God. 
is this beautiful thing where Paul is saying, hey, the zeal that I had for the traditions of my fathers, the, the, the knowledge of the Old Testament that I had, that I was using to persecute the church of Christ, God had actually had a plan for me to take those things, flip them, redeem them, and then use them once he got a hold of my heart and sent me out into the world. It's this beautiful thing where God is the God who, who uses the brokenness of our past, the sin of our past, the things in our character, the things in our lives, experiences that we've had, things we've done, things that have been done to us that we think are so bad and so wrong and actually keep us from God that we were doing before we knew him. He can take those things, redeem them, and actually use them for something beautiful. That's the power of grace. And so Paul now goes to the how. How did he meet Jesus? Or how, better yet, did Jesus get a hold of Paul's life? We just read read verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So Paul's going to tell us now how Jesus actually got a hold of him. And in order to, to actually grasp this, we need to see the full story. We get the, the full story in Acts chapter 9. This is how Jesus met Paul and absolutely grabbed him and transformed him by his grace. The story goes like this. But Saul, that's what Paul used to be called, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's the church of Christ, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as, as he went away on his way, sorry, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. And it goes on to say, And Saul has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. So Paul gives us the story and Luke just expounds on it in Acts 9. He tells us how Paul is saved and it's this beautiful thing that Paul iterates to us where he says, Before I was born, verse 15, and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So Paul tells us and Luke shows us in Acts, Paul was so far from God. He wasn't seeking. He wasn't anywhere close to God. He was so far from God and even yet he was not beyond 
the grace of God. And in fact, God was at work in his life long before Paul even realized it. And so you might be here today and you're, and you're a follower of Jesus. You might be here and you're not a follower of Jesus. Either way, think about your life. Think about your past. Think about the people around you, the circumstances that have happened to you, the circumstances you've created by your own actions. Where has God been working in the midst of that? In hindsight, when you look back, is Paul saying God was always at work in me. God always had a plan for my life even before I realized it. And God was gonna take the things that are so broken and so sinful about me and he's actually gonna redeem them. He always had a plan to stop me in my tracks, to blind me, to knock me to the ground and completely flip my life around. Maybe some of us have a radical story like that where God actually intervened and did something crazy to just absolutely stop you in your tracks and change you and transform you. I have a a good buddy of mine who was so antagonistic, kind of like Paul, to the gospel. He wanted nothing to do with it. He was caught up in all kinds of addictions. And one night in the midst of when he was just given into that temptation, just indulging that addiction, um, he was just at the end of himself. He broke down in tears. He hated himself, was coming to the end. And then for some reason on his computer, that song, Good, Good Father, came on. And however you feel about that song, just the line that it repeats over and over, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's who you are. For some reason, that grabbed him, that blinded him, that knocked him off his horse and absolutely changed him. And it sent him on this journey to actually discover who this good father was. And he met Jesus. God has this way of stopping us in our tracks, of using pain, of using suffering, of using good things, of using the people and the circumstances in our lives and the things that we go through to get our attention. C.S. Lewis actually uh, was the one who said, uh, pain is God's megaphone. So sometimes even the, the most painful, broken, unpleasant things in our lives are actually God trying to give you a Damascus Road experience that Paul had where he's trying to get your attention. He's trying to shake you. He's trying to wake you up and show you how good and how powerful he is and how good his grace is. Um, It's uh, a guy called Chris Brown. He's a pastor, not not the artist. (laughs) You, me, and the dance floor. Not that guy. Um, And he says this, and it, it always sticks with me. He says, our past will either be Satan's greatest weapon against us or God's greatest weapon against darkness in our life and ministry. Paul's saying, God took the the zeal that I had and he changed it from zeal for tradition and he made that into zeal for more of Jesus and to make Jesus known. We read uh, just a huge 180 pivot from zeal for, for tradition. Paul writes in Philippians 3 that his zeal now is for one thing, knowing Christ Jesus. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the upward call in Christ Jesus. God, through his grace, through his power, can take these things that are so broken about us and use them. One of my best friends in the world, he's a youth pastor here in Surrey now. His story is that through high school, um, he got super hooked on fentanyl and cocaine, and it absolutely destroyed his life. And He got, again, to the point where he was just at the lowest of the low and thought this was it, thought God could never use him. He was done, and that's exactly where God met him. God met him on the bathroom floor of a bathroom stall when he had just done a line of cocaine and hated himself. God met him in that moment 
and redeemed him and transformed his life by his grace in such a way that now this friend goes and he speaks at rehabilitation clinics and he goes and speaks to teenagers and he goes to, and speaks to people who are in the same shoes that he was in and he's able to tell them this is the power of the grace of God. Maybe you've heard about the grace of God. Maybe you've sat through sermons. Maybe you've listened to worship music. Maybe people have, have shouted the Bible at you or shamed you or whatever. This is the power of the grace of God. This is what it actually did living in my life, living in my heart. This is how God actually met me in the midst of the worst of the worst of my life and transformed me. And now God is using that thing that was his greatest darkness and he's using that as just an absolute weapon for the gospel. That's the power of God. That's the power of grace. So Paul gives us the how. In hindsight, God was always doing something And then don't worry, we'll go pretty quick through these next few verses. Uh, Verse 17, Paul says, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. This is so beautiful. Paul now gives us the the now part of his testimony. This is what God did. This is how Jesus grabbed him and transformed him. And now this is what Jesus is doing. Paul immediately, immediately understands that God did not just show him grace and mercy and forgiveness in such a radical way just so that he could enjoy grace and forgiveness and mercy, but rather that God called him and saved him and transformed him by the power of his grace so that God could use him to transform many, many, many more people by the power of his grace. And it's this reality where God doesn't just pour mercy on us. He doesn't just love us and and give us grace and give us all the blessings in the world just so we can enjoy them for ourselves. God pours into us. God saves us. God shows us grace and forgiveness and kindness and mercy so that we can then be a river that just pours out all of these things onto people. The question is, are we a dam or a river, right? Are you a dam of the blessings of God and the grace of God where it just stops with you and you just He's pouring all these things into you and you're just holding on to them and soaking in them yourself? Or do you understand, like Paul, that you are meant to be a river where God pours these things into you and then they flow downstream to all the people that God's given you in your life? It was Billy Graham who said, uh, God comforts us not so that we can be comfortable, but so that we can be comforters. God saves us not so just that we can be saved, but so that we can point people to the saving love of Jesus. God gives us grace so that we can then overflow out of a changed heart, grace to the people in our lives. This is what God did for Paul, and Paul understands that immediately, once he's saved, this is his call to preach. It says in verse 16, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul was immediately sent. So Paul was a Jew, but God saved him and sent him to the Gentiles, which were the Greek pagan non-religious people, Paul immediately senses this call as he's transformed by the grace of God to then go to the people who don't know this God. 
you can't separate that from your salvation, from the call that God wants to actually reach other people through your life, not just reach you. And then it's this beautiful thing. It's, it's kind of cool. Um, so the, the accusation, or one of the accusations against Paul by these Judaizers, these, these Jewish authorities um, that he's defending against is that, well, Paul, you didn't walk with Jesus in his lifetime like the other, like the 12 apostles did. So you must have got this gospel that you're preaching, the gospel of grace. You must have got it from those apostles and you probably distorted it. This, all this grace stuff, it's a distortion of the gospel that you receive from the, the 12 apostles. And, and Paul is actually defending against this by saying, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. What Paul is doing there is he's just giving this defense like, there's no way I could have received this gospel. Like he already said, I didn't receive it, nor was I taught it by man. He's just giving a defense. He's giving an alibi. He's saying there's no way I could have received this gospel from the other apostles because I didn't even go to Jerusalem right away. As soon as I was saved, I started preaching in Damascus and then I went away into the wilderness in Arabia and then eventually I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, Peter, but only for 15 days. Basically, I went to go meet Peter because he sounds like such a wildcat. You know, of course he would want to meet Peter. I would want to meet Peter. But he only went for two weeks just to visit with Peter. And then he goes back to Damascus and he's basically just giving a defense. He says, um, I did run into James, the brother of Jesus, but he wasn't actually one of the original apostles. He's just telling us, telling the church, hey, I didn't receive this gospel from those apostles. I received it straight from Jesus. But this is really cool thing. Another thing Paul's telling us in here, it's a little bit sneaky. He says, I went away into Arabia. Um, Arabia was kind of the wilderness. And in that region was where Mount Sinai was, which is where Moses went away to commune one-on-one with God. And it's actually where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, where he comes down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments. And Paul's saying this thing in his defense, where Um, All the other apostles, the 12 who walked with Jesus, they got three really concentrated years of just being face-to-face with Jesus and learning from him and seeing how he lived and being like him and being formed in the innermost part of their being so that they can go out and live the gospel. And Paul didn't get that because he didn't walk with Jesus. What he's saying is, I went away into Arabia like Moses went to be with God on the mountain. I went away once I was saved by grace to go and be with Jesus for for three years for a formation period face-to-face with Jesus, just like the other apostles were. And so most scholars think that he probably went away to Mount Sinai just to be one-on-one with God, to be formed, to be shaped into the image of God before he went out and planted churches and started preaching and started doing. And it's this beautiful example where the Christian life, the life of being formed after the way of Jesus and living the way of Jesus is a balance of the contemplative and the active where it's so important not for us to just be pragmatic and go out and do, 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 do more programs. We love programs at church. But there's this part where Paul's saying it's useless if you don't have that formation time. And maybe some of us are out of balance. We're out of whack with that, where we're, we're really trying to be pragmatic and we're not spending time just in the presence of Jesus, learning from him, being filled by him, being poured into by him so then we actually have something to go and pour out to the world and maybe some of us are a little too on the contemplative side and we're just all we want to do is sit with Jesus on the mountaintop and have these good emotional experiences and be filled up but then we're just a dam we're not pouring out 
to the world and there's not enough activity. Paul's saying it's both. Before I went and preached in the wilderness, uh, preached, sorry, in the churches and in the cities, I went into the wilderness with Jesus. And just as we finish up here, just that last verse, verse 24, and they glorified God because of me. Paul cannot separate the power of the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus with his call and the call that we all have to then go and live and speak and share our story of how Jesus saved us and transformed us in such a way that people look at our lives and hear our speech and glorify God because of us. That's the whole point for Paul. That's where he wraps up his testimony. They glorified God because of me. Um, We love the Bible. We teach the Bible. We need to keep loving the Bible and growing in our knowledge of Scripture. One of the most prolific Bible teachers and and scholars and preachers and pastors was named D.L. Moody, and he said this, out of a hundred men, one will read the Bible. The other 99 will read the Christian. Part of the reason that I think Paul shares his story, his testimony with us, is because story is powerful. Story makes the gospel live and authenticates it in such a way that people, it moves it from information to something that's living. Uh, It was psychologist Brene Brown who said, um, stories are just data with a soul. I think that's what Paul is giving us. Paul's giving us the, the story of the gospel as story for a reason because it grabs our heart and it grabs our mind in such a way that just plain information does not. And the reality is that every single one of us is a walking testimony. We are a walking story of the grace and the goodness of God. One of my pet peeves is when I talk to people and they tell me that, I just don't have an exciting story. You know, my testimony is boring. I never did fentanyl. Ah, shoot. You don't want to get hooked on drugs, man. Like, trust me, you don't. Right? But to say that your story is boring and lacks power is a huge injustice to what God has actually done in your life. Because every single one of us is made in the image of God. Every single one of us is loved dearly by God, has rebelled against God, and he's gone to great lengths, gone to the cross to buy us back to himself. And he's put things and people and circumstances in your life to grab you, to change you, to transform you. Man, just think about, reflect on the ways that God has poured his grace out on you in so many different ways. The ways that he continues to do that in your imperfection every single day, every moment of every every day, excuse me. When we all fall short every single day, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace. Your story is not boring. And if you don't consider yourself an evangelist or someone who is comfortable sharing your faith with people and breaking down the scriptures and preaching and all this stuff, amazing. Just tell people your story. Be an expert at understanding how much grace God has poured into your life and articulating that to people because it's powerful. So what is your story? What is your testimony? It'll do our hearts and our souls and our minds good to take some time and just reflect on that. And if you're here and you're, you're actually not a follower of Jesus, you don't believe this stuff, ask anyone in this room. Ask somebody about their story. Find someone that you know who loves Jesus. Ask them about their story. Ask them what God has done in their life. And think about where maybe is God trying to get your attention? Where, like Paul, is he trying to blind you 
stop you in your tracks and show you how amazing he is and what he wants to do in your life, the amazing future and hope that he has for you. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. We cannot thank you enough for your grace that you've lavished on us, poured out on us, Lord, the way that you've transformed us, the way that you've loved us. Lord, and I just pray right now that you would make that just absolutely burn in our minds and in our hearts. Just show us, bring to our remembrance the incredible things that you have done to get our attention, to shake us, to wake us up, to bring us to yourself and transform us with the power of your grace, Lord. And I pray that there would be just thousands and thousands of stories that go forward in each of us as we live, as we speak, as we do our best in our fumbling, imperfect way to then pour out the grace that you've given us onto the world and the people around us. We know that it's only by your power, only by your Holy Spirit, and only by your grace. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.